morning. I love Miss Judy. Thank you, Miss Judy, for that. Wasn't that awesome? She has been serving the Lord with her gifts as long as I can remember. I'll just put it that way. We're not going to get a date. We're not going to get how many years, but it's been a long time. And she has been faithful in this room, on these instruments, and uh, as long as I can remember. Thank you for your love of the Lord and gifting. That, that, that's, it takes time to establish that kind of gifting, and we appreciate you and love you. Hey, thanks for being here. You guys doing all right this morning? So we've been talking about what it means to uh, be obedient to Jesus and the great commandment, right? He says this in Matthew, uh, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, uh, he says in another place. But then he says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as what? Yourself. So we've been talking about what does this mean to love God with all that we are, this all-encompassing love, that it moves us not just uh, in what we believe, but how we love other people. In fact, when we love other people the way God calls us to love other people, then we're proving that we actually love the Lord with all that we are. It's, it's proof that obedience to the second is proof of the first. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about the fact that uh, we have to learn how to love ourselves in a sense, the way God is, our identity is in Him, and our trust and our hope is in Him. And then we move from ourselves to our family. They're our closest neighbor. Every single day you got an opportunity to love your family uh, the way Christ has loved the church, and we have, we've given some uh, examples of that. We've talked through that. Uh, we've talked about then when you step outside your door, You've got these houses next to you. You've got these uh, communities within your community and, and your city. What does it mean to love your community and your actual neighbors? How do we do that? And today, we're just going a little further. We're jumping in the car and we're going to work. We're going to work. And some of you go, oh boy, where are we going with this? You have to love your coworker, right? We love our coworker. They're a neighbor. Uh, who, who's our neighbor, by the way? We talk about this, right? It's everybody besides us. Jesus said, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor to yourself. Everybody else. But somehow, sometimes we get to work and we go, ooh, I don't like that guy. Sometimes it's our boss. Sometimes it's the people that work for us. But the cool thing is, is God has given us specific directions in his word how to love even our coworkers. Did you know you're going to spend a third of your life with your coworkers? Now, the, the cool thing for me is I love who I get to work with. I love the people I get to work with. They are a joy. But some of you are going, oh, that's 90,000 plus hours with your coworkers at some point over the span of your career. So some of you may really love your work. Some of you may really love those relationships that you have at work. And some of you are going, I tolerate my relationships at work. I can barely survive at work. Some, some of you are in, in toxic difficult, and maybe even abusive situations in ways. And we're going to talk about the fact that God has already given us directions for how to love him and love the people that we work with, all right? Uh, Whether you're a boss today and you have employees, God's given us directions for you. Whether you're an employee and you got a boss or whether you're just a Christ follower among a lot of coworkers, whatever the case may be, uh, we're called to love our neighbors, specifically those that we work with. Now, before I get into what that means to love your coworker, I want to talk just a little bit about work itself, 
okay? I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to think about our work and we go, oh, work, right? It's kind of like we feel, of it, we feel about it like a necessary evil. It's what we got to do to put food on the plate and pay the mortgage, right? This is, we've, we've got to go to work. But I want you to see that's not how God sees it. Sadly, we, many of us do, but that's not how God sees work. That was not his initial plan for us to experience work in that way. In fact, work is a part of, we talked about this, this Latin word, imago Dei. It's a part of sort of the image of God. As he created us, after he created us, he, he established work. Look with me uh, in Genesis 2.15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Read this again. Look, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And some of you go, well, that had to happen after the fall, right? Sin entered the world and then we had to work. No. This is pre-fall. This is before sin entered the world. God had a plan for work that was a good plan. It was a plan for us to model him. He had worked, right, for six days and then rested on the seventh. He had created us in his image, and now he's creating us to work as he works and to value uh, what that means. God wants us to be a productive people, to create something out of nothing, to work, to bring order. That's part of his design, even from the garden. Great author Seth Godin says this. He says, your job is what you're paid to do. But your work is what you're made to do. I've got a question for you this morning. Do you know what you're made to do? Do you have a sense in your soul of your purpose, of of your work? How God wants to use your work in your life and the lives of those around you? Do you know? Yes, God wants to provide for your needs and your job. Yes, he wants to use that to help your family. But he's also using it. And this is the thing we miss as Christians sometimes. He also wants to use your work to make you more like Jesus. He wants to use your work and your coworkers and your environment and all that's going on there to make you more like Jesus and to use you for his glory in that place as the hands and feet of Jesus to the people you're around. Here's what I want us to look at this morning. Your work is an opportunity to learn to serve and suffer as a servant of Jesus. What? Say that again? <laughs> Our work may be an opportunity at some point in your career. It's not always going to be just balloons and cake on birthday day and, right, half-day casual wear. It's not going to be, I don't even know what that is. But uh, it's not always going to be fun and games at work. At some point in your work life, you're going to have some difficult days. You're going to have days where you go go, go away crying, men and women. You go away frustrated, you go away offended, you go away abused in some way, struggling. And God yet has given us an opportunity to learn to serve and to suffer for Christ in our work. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, what it means to love the neighbor closest to us, and we talked about our family. Uh, I I introduced or talked about, we talked about this in our first principle series as well, but the household text, when I say that, um, what I'm speaking of are three sections of Scripture in the New Testament where Paul and others help us to understand what it means to follow Christ. What does it mean for our lives to be honoring to Jesus? What does it look like as a husband and a wife? 
What does it look like as a mother and father? What does it look like as children? What does it look like as extended family? And also, what does it look like to be a co-worker? And I'll explain why that was connected to the household text in just a minute, but that's what we're going to talk about today in the same sort of sense. So the very first thing I want you to see is if we're going to love our coworker today, we have to love them. This is going to be, this is, you're going to believe, this is going to be mind-blowing, right? We've got to love them as Christians, <laughs> right? That's meant to be a joke. It's, it, you would expect that, right? That we would love our neighbor as Christ, right? That, as Christians, he's called us to love people around us. And yet somehow some of us get to work and we go, uh-uh, Jack, no way. And we don't. We don't love. We don't honor. We don't respect. So the very first thing we need to be reminded of as believers in Jesus and Christ's followers is he wants to love people through us as Christians, to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves, including our bosses, our employees, our coworkers. So it's not a matter of preference, right? We don't get to go to work and go, ooh, I like that guy. He likes to go hiking like I do. Let's hang. I'm going to hang with him. What about the weird guy? By the way, that might be you. I don't know. People might be saying things. I don't know. And if it is you, you would want somebody to befriend you, wouldn't you? You'd want somebody to love you. The point is, we don't get the privilege of uh, dividing people based on our preference or affinity. Oh, he's always talking about sports. I hate sports. That doesn't matter. How can you love him? He's so obnoxious. He, it speaks like he knows everything. How can you love him? What way is God calling you to love your coworker? Well, we're going to look in these uh, household texts. We're going to look specifically this morning. We're going to look at three of them. But I want us to look carefully and quickly at these two together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, if you brought your Bible with you. If you didn't, we have it on the screen, I think. And then we're going to look at Colossians 3. We're going to take a look at how similar these texts are, okay? Here's the first one in Ephesians 6. Verse 5 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service uh, with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Now, you remember we talked a little bit about the Didache, the fact that, that this season in the early church, there was no New Testament, right, that was being formed slowly. And so how did, how did Paul and the other apostles disciple people in these establishing churches? They taught them these rules, these, these lessons of Jesus, from the, from, also from the Old Testament, these different things that they put together to help people understand what does it mean to walk as a believer in Jesus. Part of that are these household texts. How do we, how do we live as married people? How do we live as, as brothers and sisters or, or as children? And how do we live as coworkers? And I want you to just look how similar the text is in Colossians chapter 3. Paul, again, first to the Ephesian church and now to the uh, church at Colossus in 22, verse 3, says, Bondservants, obey everything those who uh, are your earthly masters. Uh, Bondservants, obey everything 
Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be uh, paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Isn't that interesting how similar they are? Paul was establishing believers in, in, in these aspects of walking in Christ. And this is part of the way that he did it. And he's doing it again today. The Lord is doing it through this text this morning. Would you pray with me as we open our hearts to God's word? Father God, thank you for these household texts. Thank you for leading us to your truth. Thank you for helping us understand our role. God, every person in this room today has a role to play in the family, in the world, at work. God, give us enough faith to be obedient to you, to live out the life you've given us in the role you've given us, in the way you've described that a Christian, that a believer in Jesus would live and will you give us the courage to be obedient to it? Father, I pray that today you would help me to decrease. Lord Jesus, that you would increase in this time. Holy Spirit of the living God, lead us to all truth as we open our hearts to your word and you teach us how to live by it. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we talked about these household texts a couple of weeks ago. We talked about our families, about the fact that in the household text, we have these roles as husbands and wives. They complement each other. They're meant to serve one another. They're meant to be hand in glove because that's the way God designed it. And so part of us as believers in Jesus, we submit to that design and we follow those roles and we enjoy the life that God has given us. And sometimes we look at the problems uh, in marriage or in our country and we go, well, did you follow the design? No. You're going to have trouble, <laughs> right? It's, it's not rocket science here. We follow God's design for marriage and family, and we, we live in the blessing uh, of that design. We disobey that design, and, and we, we get in trouble. We make mistakes. But God is a God of grace, and he always leads us. So if you're in a place where, like, I've messed that up, listen, God wants to lead you back into the right direction. He wants to give you hope in that area. Well, listen, in the same way that we have roles and a design in the family, we have roles and a design at work in the exact same way, and it takes the same faith to walk in those roles and in that design in faith uh, as it does at work, as it does in our family. Now, um, I want to address something here in these texts, and you might have picked up on it. It might have been something that kind of stuck out to you, and, and I don't think you can look at these texts without addressing this just for a second here. When we look at these household texts, there's some words that are used that make you kind of go, eh, what does that mean? It, it, they're a little confusing. Words like slaves servants, masters. Now, I don't know about you, but when we read those words, because of our American context and, and the horror of what American slavery was, we, we go, we kind of, what does that mean? And how does, how does this reconcile with us as believers? I want you to understand that slavery in first century Greco-Roman world was different than American slavery. That's the first thing. We can't just apply our American understanding of American history and what's called chattel slavery over, we can't just lay it together and say it's the same thing as what we're reading here. It's not. 
First century Greco-Roman world is a different context of servitude, and I want to explain what it was. Back in the Greco-Roman world, everybody of every race, uh, every culture had either been slaves or had slaves. They weren't race or culture specific, okay? They had slaves or had been slaves. It was also something that, you know, back in, in that day, if you didn't want somebody in your house, you just kick them out. Some of you are like, really? That works? I wish we could bring that back to, no. No, that's not a good thing. So if you didn't want the kid, you just kicked him to the curb. If you didn't want grandma, you just kicked her out of the house and just left him to die. Literally. But this is where Christians come along and they go, no, that's not loving. And so they take kids in and Christians come along and they take grandma in and they, they love her and they care for her. It's, it's, it's the way of Christ. Sometimes those people served as servants. Sometimes they served, if, if you had a debt that you had to somebody, you owed somebody some, some amount of money and there's no way you're going to pay it off. And you said, you know what? Can I be a bond servant to you? Can I be a slave to you? And I'll help you. And, and until, you know, we'll set a time period, maybe a year, maybe five years, maybe the rest of my life. I don't know. But I'm going to serve you. It's a different situation than what we know of as slavery in, in our American history. American history, slavery has to do with kidnapping, torture, death, a horrible, 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 tragic reality of our history. Not the same thing, right? We have to understand these are two different things. Also, I want to say this. Sadly, many of our founding fathers used these texts to support slavery in America. They were wrong. They were wrong. These texts and the Bible in general does not support slavery. Okay? Again, we've talked about this before. Sometimes we read the Bible, we read it because it's prescriptive or it's descriptive. In other words, God tells us how to live prescriptively. This is what I'm prescribing for you to live, and you need to learn from this. And sometimes it's descriptive. In other words, the Bible is describing something that happened. So in some ways, the Bible is describing sort of the culture and context around this servitude piece. Also, it's also in ways prescriptive in, in that we apply this to our own context. So it's safe for us to say, okay, when you see the word slave, think of an employee. When you see the word master, think of the word boss. And it, and it, and it eases tensions just a little bit, okay? Does that help? I hope it does. But the bottom line for this, and even for all the household texts, I want you to see there's one word that really everything centers around. It centers around authority. Now, I don't know about you, but even in my heart, I'm a, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, even in my heart when I hear the word authority, I go, oh, it's not my favorite word. Do you feel that? If you feel that like me, I want you to realize it's probably somewhere deep in our sin nature. Because even Adam and Eve felt the same thing. They, they at some point said, ah, you know what, I want to be God. I want to have control. I want to do what I want to do. And I want to pull away from the protection and, and obedience of God. And I want to be my own person. I don't trust your authority anymore. I want to be in control. I want to be the one who is the authority. That's what we do every single day when we sin. We choose to, to bypass God's authority in his word and say, no, I got this. And it's a dangerous thing to do. Listen, God has designed a system for us to live in, in authority, under authority. Everybody's under authority, everybody. Whether you like it or understand it or not, the reality is everyone's under authority. God is over all of us. 
whether you believe in him or not. Philippians says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's showing he is preeminent over all things. He is the authority. He is sovereign God, right? For those of us that are Christ followers, we submit to that and say, yes, Lord, you are king of kings and Lord of lords over my life. I surrender, I submit myself to your lordship. Well, then even as uh, Americans, God, the Bible tells us that God sets up leaders over us. He sets up leaders over us. He does that. Now, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat or Independent. It's Tuesday's the big voting day coming up here. Listen, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. The Bible says if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, we are to respect those in charge of us. We are to pray for those over us. So regardless of how you feel about President Trump or our mayor or our governor or the judges or police, all of those positions represent authority that God has placed over us. And so we submit to that authority. Uh, There's biblical authority in the church. Uh, We submit to elders in a church. If we're a part of a church, we're saying, hey, listen, I submit to these elders for my spiritual life. I submit to them, so, and their, their goal and their desire, and they will be held accountable to help me know Jesus more. So I want to submit to them. Some people, you know, again, the idea of authority, the idea of submission, it's not like the most popular talk I could give, you know what I'm saying? But this is what a Christ follower does. We, we understand this system of authority. Darren Patrick is an author and pastor. He says this, authority They're the people and institutions that God puts in place to teach, protect, and correct us. I'll read that again. The people and institutions that God puts in place to teach, protect, and correct us. So God is our ultimate authority. Our our leaders and our government, we're under them as well. We respect that authority. We submit to biblical authority as elders. Husbands submit to Christ. They lay their lives down as Christ did for the church. Wives submit to husbands. Children submit to parents. Servants submit to masters. Or employees submit to bosses. This is the the system God has laid out of authority for us to be obedient to so that we can grow in Christ's likeness. Now listen, this system has been put in place with people and institutions to teach us, protect us, and correct us, and ultimately to make us more like Christ. But here's the hard part. Does it break down? Yes. Do we have presidents who fail us? Yes. Do we have governmental leaders and judges and police who fail us? Yes. Do we have pastors who fail us? Yes. Do we have husbands and wives that fail? Yes. And children and bosses and employees. Failure is wrought throughout the system because we are a sinful people. But it doesn't mean we dismiss the system of authority. It doesn't mean we just do away with God's design. No, we still live as godly people, as Christ followers, obedient to this understanding and this system of authority. And so we submit our lives to this authority in a way with the hope that God would continue to use us and change us by his his grace. Now listen, even when we fail, this is what's so awesome about God. Even when the system fails us, God still uses that brokenness to make us more like Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? He set up this system that if we obey it, it works. 
And then he set up a system that if somebody fails us and we still honor Christ, we still submit our lives under that authority, it works. Only God could do that, to love us enough to use even the brokenness of the system that he created. So here's the thing I want us to see. To love our coworkers, we have to love them as Christians because God's called us to love them that way in obedience to the Lord. We have to love them, according to this text in Ephesians, with seriousness and sincerity as servants of Christ. Look at the text with me. It says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. I mean, that's taking something really serious, right? I think about Indiana Jones holding the thing that he's going to lay on top of the deal, you know? Uh, He's like, this is talking about our work. We treat our work with such a seriousness that we, we, we tremble with fear and trembling. It's serious. We take it serious. Not just our work, but the commandment for how, we to, how we're to live within our work. We do it with a sincere heart as you would for Christ, if you're, if you're working for Christ. As if Christ said, hey, would you make these copies? Yes, Lord. Jesus, I would. Hey, can you do a better job on the sales run? Lord, I want to do my best for you. But do we think of it that way? Or do we go, all right, whatever. And we don't see our bosses or our supervisors in a way. We're worried about them instead of honoring Christ, living in such a way that we can honor Christ. So we obey with seriousness and sincerity as servants of Christ. Uh, the the, uh, the uh, Colossians piece says this. With sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You know, he uses a phrase that's kind of confusing. It says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. And what he's speaking of is this. Don't just do this when somebody's watching. You ever guilty of that? The boss comes in, hey, I've got the greatest attitude and ever. Hey, good to see you, boss, man. And you do it exactly the way he wants it to be done. And you wrap it up and you're, and you're just, man, you're just the greatest employee ever. And he walks out and you're like, Facebook. Are we guilty of that? And we end up doing a job based on somebody watching us instead of somebody watching us. God sees all that we do. He sees it. He's over us. But it's not just the fact that we're doing it in such a way that that is honorable to him. He will reward us when we serve the way he would have us serve our, our bosses and employees. It says here in the uh, Colossians piece to work hard as if you're working for the Lord. It says he'll reward you. You know, sometimes some of you have uh, jobs where if you do a certain amount of sales or you do a certain matter of this or whatever, you get a bonus. Is that uh, inspiring to you? (laughs) You're like, yes, I stay late. I'm at home doing a few things. I do the extra stuff so that I can get the bonus. It is inspiring. It's an incentive This is what Paul is saying. There's a bonus coming, but you're living like you don't have one. The bonus is that God sees what you're doing and he will reward you for it when your heart and your attitude is right. It says this in Colossians uh, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily, work hard as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving the Lord, not just name of your company, not just name of your overseer. You're serving Jesus. 
But things sometimes are not easy at work. Sometimes you feel abused and, and uh, not paid attention to. You feel like a number, whatever the case may be. Listen to this in verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. When God looks down at your work and he sees your boss who may know Christ, and he sees you who knows Christ, he doesn't see, oh, that's boss Jim and employee Drew. No, no. he sees Jim and Drew. He sees his children. He doesn't make a differentiation between boss and employee. He says two people. He sees two people who are serving him or not. And he will be rewarded or punished based on how uh, he's treating you, how your employer is treating you. And you'll be rewarded for how you're doing your work. So if you're a boss today, I want to I speak to you just for a minute. When you're the boss, the text says this in Ephesians, masters, do the same to them, or employers, or boss. Uh, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master, your employees, and your master is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Colossians says, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. See, Paul's reminding people who are, who are bosses, who have the responsibility of leading other people, to be kind, to be just, to be fair, because they have to submit to authority. Remember I said, everybody's under authority. Even Jeff Bezos, when you think about how much money this guy has, he's the richest man in the world, he owns Amazon. You think he doesn't answer anybody. Oh, yes, he does. His name is Jesus. And at any moment, the Lord wanted to take breath out of Jeff's lungs, he could do so. He is submissive to Jesus. I don't know if he lives that way with his life, but God, uh, he is submissive to the Lord. He submits to him. If you're a leader of people, you know, when I started studying leadership in college uh, with a leadership program, I didn't realize that God gives leadership to people not so that they can have just privilege and title and more money. No. As a Christian, we need to see leadership differently. If we're leaders and we're believers, we need to see leadership as an opportunity to develop people. It's different. It's different than, oh, I got the job now and I can take care of business now. I can make the money. No. Leadership is not, has nothing to do with that. Leadership is now you have the responsibility to love people underneath you, to lead them to their dreams, to lead them to their goals, to lead them to wholeness and health and, and, and bless them. That should be the heart and the role of a Christian leader among people. Have you ever seen the show uh, Undercover Boss? I, uh, it's just a fun show to watch because what happens is a leader, a CEO or founder or president of a big company comes to work for his own company at some low level, right? He's an entry-level employee, and he wears a disguise. And while he's there in disguise, somebody's training him for the position of the company that he started, right? And so he's there, oh, this is how I do the sweeping? Okay, great. And this is how I pour the ice cream, or this is how, whatever the case may be. Well, he gets to determine the people that he's working for, either kind leaders and employers, or they're not. And what's fun is at the end of the show, the people that trained him walk into him without the, the makeup and without the disguise. And he goes, hi, my name is so-and-so. I started and owned this company. And I've been working for you for the last four weeks or whatever. And they go, oh my gosh, right? 
Listen, what's interesting is in that moment, that boss, that CEO, that founder gets to reward people. Some, there's some great shows that people work really hard and they're maybe single moms or single dads or, and they're doing their best to raise their kids, but they have a good work ethic and they're trying their best. And this CEO gets to go, I'm going to reward you for working hard for our company. And I'm going to, you said you wanted to go back to college. I'm going to pay for that. I'm also going to give you $50,000 for your kids. I'm going to, crazy things. And you're, you're home balling, right? Like, yeah, he did a good job. And then you kind of go, oh, I can't wait to happens to this guy. He comes over here to this guy who was a jerk. He's like, so what do you think now? The guy's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to treat you that way. Well, you know, things change all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, the, the motives of our heart are revealed. Listen, God is the undercover boss. He's with you every single day in your work. He, he sees how you treat people, whether you're loving people or whether you're uh, being unkind to people. He sees it. Jesus speaks to this specifically in Matthew 20 when he's speaking to his employees, to his disciples, if you will. Uh, verse 5, Matthew 20, Jesus talks about leadership. It says, he called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus is helping his disciples understand that the goal of leadership is humility and service. Not title and privilege. I'll say that again. The goal of leadership, if you're a boss, you need to learn this as a Christian, it's humility and service for people, not title and privilege. And trust me, if you've worked for either one of those bosses, you know what I'm talking about. You've worked for the people who lead differently. Then the Savior of the world, the creator of the world, Colossians 1 says he holds all things together. He, he strips down to a towel. He wraps it around his waist and he gets on his fleshly knees and he washes the feet of the disciples that he created to show them he himself is humble. That he himself will serve. He didn't come to be served. I'll live out this very thing that I'm showing you. So the question for you all, if you're a boss this morning, I want you to ask this question of your heart. Do I seek to serve or to be served? Does my position do something in my soul that gives me some kind of a, a pride that might be ungodly? Or could God change my heart and help me to lead people humbly with a desire to serve them? That's what we have to ask this morning. Uh, most of us are not bosses. Most of us are employees. We work uh, for other people. And so what does the Bible say about that? You know, when I got to say this, when you, when you think about working for other people and I think about a boss, there's one guy that comes in mind. Do we have a picture of, you know that guy? Yeah, we're going to need you to come in on Saturday and uh, work, get your TPS reports in, you know? I think this guy's just the perfect uh, vision of a boss, Right? Uh, he comes across kind of nice, but not. He's condescending. He's not listening to you. I can't work on Saturday. All right, thanks. Appreciate you. See you Saturday, right? Sometimes we think about our bosses, we think of them negatively. But, but God wants us to see them with a bigger picture as believers in Jesus. 
Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 18. He says, servants, be subject to your masters or employers, be subject to your bosses with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Now I want you to think about the very first thing it says for us to do as believers in Jesus who work, right? We're to become subject. That means willfully come underneath, willfully submit, willfully honor and respect those who are in charge over us. That is part of the authority design that God has placed in our lives. Do you respect and honor your boss? Some of you go, you truly do not know my boss. It's okay because Peter did. Look what he says. Not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust. Not only the boss who's awesome, he's amazing, but no, the boss who's a jerk. The boss who makes it seem like you couldn't, he couldn't care less about you or your family or your time or anything else other than what he wants you to do. That guy. What do we do for that guy? We, we subject ourselves to him. We come underneath. We honor. We respect out of reverence for Jesus. Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So this is what Peter's saying to do. Honor, respect, submit to your boss, even if they're unjust, even if they're unkind. Now listen, I don't want to be silly and say this, this context is different than our current context. If you're walking in a situation that is abusive and it's overly crazy and you just, you know, you can make the choice to go get another job. These people didn't have exactly that quite, that choice. You could step away. You can make another decision. But here's my concern, friends. My concern for us as believers in Jesus is how quickly we eject from painful situations when God wants to do a work in the middle of suffering. A friend of mine told me the other day, he was telling me about his son. I was so been praying for his son to get a job, and he had a job, and I called back to check on how the job's going. He said, yeah, he left. But we've been praying for this job, and it was it was an okay job. It wasn't the greatest job in the world, but he had a job, and that was a good thing. And Yeah, he just wasn't feeling it. So I'm going to just give him some time to, th- I'm like, what? It, it's work. It may not be the greatest thing in the world, but it is a blessing when you see it differently. When you see it as something God has placed in our lives for creation's sake, to follow him. That God can use our work to shape us into the image of Christ and use us in that place to bring Christ to that place. God can use it. How often are we too quick to leave or disengage from our jobs when our, when our bosses are frustrating to us? When there's tension in a situation? God uses brokenness. He uses suffering to grow our character. And sometimes we leave at the first difficulty. All I'm saying is this. If you're a believer in Jesus, maybe you just need to pray for a while. Lord, what would you have me do? Do you want me to endure here for a while? Do you want me to walk forward into suffering? 
Do you want me to be in a situation that is difficult? When I was, um, when we had first moved to Nashville, I had been on the road singing, I'd been in churches, I was signing autographs, I really thought I was something else. There was a season when we moved to Nashville where I had no job, and I needed to get a job, and I needed to work something. So I, I applied through a temp agency. I had no college degree at the time, and I applied through this temp agency. They're like, yeah, we've got something at a music distribution company. And I'm like, well, I've been doing music for a few years in my life, and I, that sounds okay. And I got to the warehouse, and they put me in a cubicle under UV lighting with a keyboard, and I was going to do data entry. That is my kryptonite. I sat down at the seat, and I literally felt like I was melting. I was like, What's happening? The room closed in on me. It was the most uncreative, unfriendly environment to somebody who was like me. Uh, I was dying. I remember sitting there going, oh. I was like hyperventilating. What, you know, can I do this? I just needed a job. It's so funny because I walked up to the, the boss and, and she said, how are you doing? Are you okay today? And I was like, hey, can I just be real honest? She said, yeah. I said, hey, here's the thing. I'm probably not going to be a long-termer. Uh, but I also know how hard it is to find good work. And so I'm just going to let you know this is probably not the right fit for me, but I'm, I'm going to stay, even if I need to stay a month or two, I'm happy to do that so that you can find who you need to find. She looked at me like I was a unicorn, right? Like, oh, uh, you sure you don't want to just, I was like, hey, I'm just, I want to offer you solid work. It's not my favorite thing, but I'll show up on time. I'll do the work and I'll do a good job until you find somebody who can fill my spot. Do you see the difference? It, it wasn't right for me. But God had placed me there for a reason, and I stayed for several weeks until it worked out. But sometimes what we do when we're frustrated in our work is we disengage and we just get lazy. Right? I don't really care about my output. I don't really care about what I get done. I don't really care about following what they want me to follow. So I just disengage because I don't like them. That doesn't honor Jesus. Or we get bitter in our hearts. We get angry, and we, we, we have unforgiveness. Or worse, we begin to get subversive and divisive, and we start saying things in little conversations, right? Well, I, don't, he, I can't believe he's the leader here. I can't believe he gets to do that. And all of a sudden, we become subversive, and that doesn't honor Jesus. Let me show you what we do. When you're walking and, and living in an uncomfortable setting at work, this is what we do. Look at verse 19 again. He says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. God calls the difficult situation a gracious and good thing. When? When you are mindful of God. So if you're just at work and you're just living out your day and you're just lit, working to put food on the table and you're not mindful of God as a believer in Jesus who loves him with all of his heart and wants to love his neighbor as himself, then maybe it's not a gracious thing. Maybe it's not working in you the way God intends for it to work in you. But when you are, when you do love him and you do want to love your neighbor and you say, God, I want to be mindful of all that you want to do in me and in the people around me, God calls it a gracious thing. But do we care? Friends, it's so easy sometimes to just be selfish, self-focused. Peter says, for it is a gracious thing when mindful 
of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but when you do good and suffer for it, when you've done the right thing and then you suffer, then this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, he says. Why would God call a toxic or difficult situation that you're suffering in a good and gracious thing? Why would he, why would he do that? Because he knows that it's that recipe for your strength, for your sanctification, for your growth. What you call toxic or unjust or difficult, God calls gracious when you're mindful of God. Peter says we've been called to suffer. That's, that's our calling on our lives, to suffer, to, to, to make it through difficult times, to not just push eject immediately, but to say, God, I want to be mindful not just of what I want, of what's perfect for me. I want to be mindful of what you want to do in my life and what you want to do in the lives of the people around me. God knows that there is a refining fire that we can walk through in our, in our jobs, in our families, in our communities, if we'll allow him to. He can shape us into the image of Jesus. Look at what Paul said in Romans 5, 3. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, listen, this season may be a season of God calling you to suffer now so you can shine later. I'm calling you to a bigger vision. Don't get blinded by what's right in front of you with the goofy boss, with the weird things that you're having to deal with and the suffering in your, in your, take a step back and say, God, give me a bigger picture for how you want to work in my heart and life, molding me into the image of Jesus and using me to be on mission for Jesus with the people you've given me around me. This may be a season of God calling you to suffer, to endure suffering now so that you can enjoy Jesus more fully. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians 2? I want to know Christ. I want to know him and his suffering. And yet, how many of us, uh, suffering's not on our list today, <laughs> right? We don't have a list. Well, these are the things I'm accomplishing today. I really want to get this done. Suffering, no thanks. Let's not do that. Let's find the most comfortable thing we can find in life. God teaches the value of suffering. See, after God has produced character in you, after God has given you hope through that character, he pours love into your hearts, and God might want to use the love that he's poured in your heart to pour into somebody else's heart. Listen, we're going to close. This morning, as you're thinking about your work, as you're thinking about what you do, your coworkers, your employees, or your boss or bosses, would you describe your feelings and intentions toward them as loving? Just take a self-assessment real quick. When you think about them, is it a loving feeling? If not, why? If we're Christ followers, we're called to love our neighbors. That means our coworkers. And we spend a ton of time with them, more time than our families most of the time. What an incredible opportunity to show the love of Jesus to the people we work with. See, how we work, the ethic of our work, how we serve, what attitude we have in the middle of our work can all be used for God's glory, even in toxic, broken, and unjust 
situations. Friends, I just want to encourage you, don't eject too quickly. could be that you're in the middle of this right now. I know I've been through this at times, and it's painful. You have to have a bigger vision, a bigger vision for a value of what work is and a bigger vision of how God might want to change you in the middle of your work or change those around you because you're there. As Christians, we need to see our work as something sacred. We need to see our work as something God created to reflect his nature. For us to create and produce, it's a beautiful opportunity. We shouldn't think about our work in a negative way. Sometimes our culture just leads us down this negative path and it influences not only how we feel about work, but how we feel about our coworker. Here's my prayer this morning, that God would give us a bigger vision for work itself and for those that we work with, those relationships. That they'd bring him glory, that he would use the situation we're in, whatever it looks like, to change us or to use us to change the situation. There's no telling what God might want to do in you and through you for his glory. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your, your mercy that is new today. God, thank you for your truth. Sometimes it's hard to hear truth, God. Sometimes it's hard to, to look in the mirror and realize that we're the enemy, that we've had a bad attitude and, and much about our culture and our world supports our right to have a bad attitude or our right to not work hard or our right to be uh, subversive or divisive in some way. God, would you please change our hearts? Help us not to focus on our wants and our needs and, and our, our goals and our plans. God, would you change our hearts to look outward towards others? Help us, Jesus, to be mindful of God. Because when we can see our work and our coworkers and be mindful of God, there's no telling how you'll use us for your glory. There's no telling what you'll do in us as a result of suffering. As we follow you in your footsteps, you've given us an example of suffering. And God, you call us to it at times in our lives. Help us not to push the eject button. Help us to feel it fully. Help us to resonate, God, with those who also suffer around us. And Lord, use us to be a salve on the brokenness of their lives, just as you have been on ours. Lord, help us as your people to love you with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength, with all that we are. Help us to know what that means. Give us a Christian worldview, Lord, that it encompasses everything we are. And everything we do, even when we step into work, God, give us the vision, your eyes, your heart for people, and your spirit of humility to subject ourselves, to submit, to honor, to respect. God, thank you for your word today. I pray for the jobs that our friends are working here that are represented just in this room and online. God, would you be glorified in our lives? as we learn to love our neighbor as ourself, and even more, as you have loved us, may we love them with that kind of love. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.